why don't you open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. That's going to be our anchor text today, although as in this series, unlike normal, we're going to be all over the place uh, in our Bibles. We're moving through a, a topical series. It's not something we do often, but I, I've really enjoyed this, this opportunity really to kind of speak to some of the questions that the congregation has had um, the, the series is titled, I've Always Wanted to Hear a Sermon On, and I've got, gotten feedback from the congregation on some various questions and topics that they wanted to hear a sermon on. And so today, the topic is the glory of God and the design of our differences. I'm dealing specifically here today with biblical manhood and womanhood. What does it mean to be a man created in the image of God? What does it mean to be a woman created in the image of God? And how is that the glory of God? And how do they relate? Are we truly different? And if we are different, why? And what is the purpose of that difference? There's all kinds of questions that abound as we think about these things. And I would say there's a lot of cultural pressure and confusion that abounds as well. So we're going to get to Romans 12, but it's going to be a bit. I want to give a little bit of a setup and some context. And you'll see on the back of your bulletin some sermon notes, and I would encourage you to track along. If nothing else, just jot these references down as we plow through many. You'll be able to go back later and then process those through and dig deeper in the Word. I want to begin by just saying to the culture broadly, you are not as free as you think you are. There is this illusion of freedom. There is this illusion of, of, of just throwing off all these restraints. And now we're free. Now we're free. I want to illustrate this by telling a bit of a story here. Let's say that you always wanted to go skydiving. Okay? Now who here has actually done this? You've done this. You're brave people. I will never do this. No desire. It's not on my list, right? This lady looks like she's having fun. Okay, let's just say you wanted to go skydiving and you did all the prep and the training and here you are, you're ready to go and you're in the plane and they strap you in and, and you go up to elevation and, and you're just like, you know what? As, as, as you climb in elevation, you're just like, these seat belts, these are so frustrating. So, feel so restrained and tied back. I can't wait to be free. Can't wait to be free. And all of a sudden, the light turns green. I don't know if it does. You know, in the military, it turns green, and everybody piles out the back. The light turns green. The guy comes back, slides the door open. And in your excitement to escape all of the restraints that are holding you back, you start unbuckling, and you start pulling off straps and unclicking everything, and you just barrel out of that plane. Yeah, I'm free. I am free. Hmm. And then you realize there was but one seatbelt. And the five-point harness that you just unstrapped to free yourself from all these restraints was in fact your parachute. And you have jumped out of a plane and you are falling headfirst at terminal velocity to what? Certain death. That'd be a scary experience, wouldn't it? 
The call of our culture. You could call this the narcissistic self-esteem gospel. Listen, young people, athletic people, business-minded people, you can be and do anything you want. If you dream it, you can do it. Now I'm getting my motivational speaker on here, right? I should put some white sneakers on and run around, you know, the Tony Robbins thing. Hey, choose who you want to be. Now, don't miss this. Choose who. Choose who you want to be. Not what you want to do. Just you choose who you want to be and go live your dream. Dream big and don't let anyone get in the way. Don't ever, this, this is, I've, I've gathered these from these slides that people make with inspiring quotes. Uh, some of these were from Oprah. <laughs> Dream big and don't let anyone get in the way. Don't ever allow, don't ever allow. Like the most offensive thing would be to ever allow someone else to kill your dream. You just need to follow your heart. You need to believe in yourself and never give up. Now, before my cynical side kicks in, okay, let's just redeem this a bit. Like, we want to motivate people, right? We, we, want, we want people to work hard, absolutely, to persevere in hard work and never give up. We don't want people tied down by the, uh, the, the lack of expectation or the low expectation that someone might have. We want to, people to achieve and really go after things, absolutely. But if you live too long in this, you can begin to, clu- to, to, to conclude things that are entirely false. Friends, honestly, let's just be honest. Some of this is not true. It may be motivational, but it's just not true. And I, I'm a bit of a realist. Like, I, I'm the guy that, that's like, well, that's not actually true, buddy. You know, at the commencement speech, the, the speaker is like, you can do whatever you want. Just believe in yourself. No, that's actually not true. I hate to say it, but it's not true. If you breathe this air for too long, you can conclude these things. You know, it's interesting. Life, life I believe, is fundamentally about me and what I want. Narcissistic. Second, I really do deserve for my life to get better. And when I say better, I mean the better that I define. My better. And I deserve to, that life allow me to achieve all, my, all of my dreams. I deserve this. Because I've been told from when I was really little that I'm a winner. I got awards for this, participating awards, right? I, I deserve. I deserve. And number three, when you insert this into kind of a, a churchy context, you can easily conclude this. God is just my biggest cheerleader. God exists to affirm all of my desires and to make all my dreams come true. You know, you can sell some books with this, can't you? 
Like you go, you go to the Christian bookstore, sad to say, you can find books that if they're honest, they're selling this. That's what they're selling. God is your life coach. He just is so tickled by how awesome you are and he just wants to make all your dreams come true and he exists for you. Friends, this is problematic. It's, probably, it's, gone, it's gone too far. Way too far. I just say it this way. Some restraints are for your protection. So let us embrace all of the wonderfully motivating aspects of these speeches at graduation and these coach talks at the athletic events and whatever, you know, wherever they may be. Yeah, we get, okay, there's noble things to admire and pursue in that. However, let us not throw off the parachute and jump out the door. There are certain things that God has given us to restrain us because He knows us. He knows who we are. He knows our inclination. He knows this, that the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Apart from Christ and the work of the gospel to give a heart transplant, you should not trust your heart. And you should not follow your heart because your heart is sinful, rebellious, set against God. When was the last time a graduation speaker said anything like that? That's why they don't ask me to be the speaker at, uh, <laughs> what do you call that thing they used to do? Baccalaureate? Never been asked to do that. Hmm. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against who? His anointed. Who is that? Old Testament. Look at this. Jesus Christ. And what do they say? What is their, what's the expression of these words? Let us burst the bonds. Take these cords. Cast away the cords from us. Throw it off. Don't you dare hold me back, Almighty God. Don't you dare tell me what I am to be or do. It is Satan's delusion to represent divine conditions of blessing as hostile restrictions holding mankind back from proper freedom. Listen, I was created to feel the wind in my face and to fall from the sky free and unrestrained. And God says, well, that's all good, but if you don't have a parachute, you're plunging to your death. It is certain there are some restraints that are for our good. The LGBTQ community, and there's many more letters they add, it's an ongoing invention as the spiral, honestly, of sin gets deeper and deeper. Cast off the restraints. Who can tell me who I am and who I am to be? I decide that. I follow my heart. I feel it. I do it. It's who I am. No one here and no one there has a right to say a word. Do you hear this? This is Psalm 2, friends. 
And so when it comes to topics like gender, what does it mean to be a man? It means nothing aside from what you want it to mean or feel it means on any given day that you roll out of bed. What does it mean to be a woman created by God? It means nothing. He has no right to tell you anything. You are free. You, de- you decide. You determine. When it comes to the expression of manhood or womanhood in sexual terms, sexuality, well, what does that look like? What does it mean? Do whatever you want. Follow your heart. If it feels good, do it. Let us cast aside the cords that hold us back. When it comes to marriage, the invention of God in Genesis 1 and 2, the gift of God, one man, one woman, that is what marriage is. It's His definition. It's His loving clarity that restricts that and calls it what it is. We just had a wedding here just two days ago. Beautiful. That's God's idea. It illustrates in a living, breathing way the covenant love of Christ for His bride, the church. But we cast that off. We define it. We call it whatever we want. Oh, the family. Well, let's just disrupt the family too. While we're at it, let's just call the nuclear family as we know it unnecessary. Let's redefine it. Let's put as many people in there as we want and of whatever gender we want. We'll just, we'll just do whatever we want. We, we create our own patterns. Education filled as we see in our state. The sex ed bill that wasn't requested by the voters. It was imposed upon the populace and now by God's grace, we're going to vote about it and Lord willing, strike it down. It is filled with this language. It is filled with rejection of God's good gift to restrain us from sin, for human flourishing. Who should go into a, man, a men's restroom and a lady's restroom? Who should be allowed in various locker rooms? How do we even talk to people anymore? What pronouns? Are we allowed to use? You see, you see, it's not enough for people to just decide this. They are imposing this on everybody. I can't even imagine what the next Olympics is going to look like, honestly. It is confused. It is getting comical. Like, seriously, athletics are, are on the verge of collapse because of this and what it's doing. That's just cultural displays here. I want, I want to ask a question. What about people? Individuals? What about children who are coming up in the middle of all of this just fog? Sin, confusion, and heartache abound in our day. This is nothing new under the sun. This is an age-old attack. Friends, When we gather at church, we need clarity on these things. We need to know how to think biblically in a culture that is hostile to God and to the beauty of obedience and holiness in these expressions of life. 
We need to know who we are as men and what that, what that means to the glory of God. And ladies, who you are as women to the glory of God. I did a men's event. You guys remember this? A few, few months back. And one of the assignments I gave in the men's event was we're going to yell at the top of our lungs like men as loud as we can for like 10 seconds. And I recorded it. It was beautiful. <laughs> the whole back room of men with like a war cry for 10 seconds. Why? Because men can do that, right? That, that's okay for men to do. You have to apologize for being strong if you're a man. Hollywood has an agenda. I'm so troubled by the promotion of these strong lead characters who are almost exclusively women now, and they beat people to a pulp while the bumbling man is like, oh, okay. You begin to see this stuff everywhere. It is pushed upon us, and it is a purposeful redefining of manhood and womanhood. I'm longing for my son to have a Star Wars movie where there's like a Luke Skywalker again. Again, and that's not sexist. I'm not saying that because I'm not against women being strong. Absolutely, yes. But can we, can we have something of Luke Skywalker like there was before where he's strong and he's a hero too? Hmm. In our statement of faith at Good Shepherd Community Church, we say this. We believe and teach that the first human beings were created by God directly and immediately. Adam from dust and Eve from Adam's rib. Adam and Eve were created distinctly male and female, yet equally in the image of God. That's so important to see. Similarly, each person is wonderfully and unchangeably created by God to be distinctly male or female, and the rejection of, God's, uh, of, of one's God-given gender is a sinful rejection of His image within that person. I think it's just, I don't know, maybe before it just was assumed, but, but we felt the need to state this explicitly. This is important for us to know. As parents, as grandparents, as we see kids come up in a school system that says just the opposite of this, we need to Toe the line and be faithful. To reject what God has created and say, no, I don't want to be this. I want to be that. That's sin, friends. That's sin. It's wrong. And any attempt to move that direction is smoke and mirrors. It's just an illusion. And it will leave you longing and empty. Don't follow your heart. Follow God. You could sum it up there, right? Just don't follow your heart. Follow God. Follow God. He has a blueprint for your best. And it's in His Word. So, let's look and see how that unfolds. Number one, a glorious design. A glorious design. Let's go to Genesis 1, 27 and 28 to begin here. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him male and female, he created them. He created, so you see the connection. They are made in the image of God. 
At the same uh, uh, work of God, he is taking dust and making Adam. He is taking the rib and making Eve, and they share equally in the image of God, but distinctly so. He said to them, oh, and he blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth with what? With my glory, right? Fill the earth with my glory. As you procreate, what do you procreate? Image bearing males and females. Subdue the earth. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on earth. Manhood and womanhood is God's idea. It is His creation. It is to His glory that men exist and that women exist. Men are not women. Women are not men. Yet in that distinction, there is co-equality in image-bearing. So masculinity, that which emanates from maleness, the, the manhood that flows out of being created as a man in the image of God, is to God's glory. And it's different than femininity, which is created by God and given to be expressed to His glory as women embrace what God has made them to be and live out of that place. I love how my cousin Owen Strand said it. He says, we are created as men or as women to inhabit, to inhabit our manhood and womanhood to the glory of our maker. Simply receiving and reveling in this reality is a matter of worship. I am a man or a woman designed in just this way by God, we should think to ourselves as we consider the body that is given to us from above. In the same way that the Grand Canyon was created to show God's power and the skies His handiwork, as a man or as a woman, I have been formed to display the beauty of His brilliant design. We need that in our day, don't we? More of that in our day. I like how Kevin DeYoung said it. The image of God is not just something we have. He made us in His image. But it's something that we are called to do and be. Right? So, so when you realize you've been made in the image of God, part of that image bearing is embracing His design. And then living that out. As men live the image of God out in the expressions of masculinity and manhood, they glorify God. And conversely, women as well. God has created what is uh, best defined as a complementary design. It's, it's different. Men and women are not the same. We are different by design. It's God's gift to us in our differences. Complementary design. Let's go to Genesis 2. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. What's interesting about this is as you move through the creation account, it is good, right? It was good. It was good. It was good. This, God says, it's not good. It's not good that the man be alone. I will make a helper fit 
or suitable for him, corresponding to him, a helper. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Look at this. This is work. This is before the fall, guys. Guess what? Work. It's a good thing. It's, a, it's not a result of the fall. It's a wonderful thing. And Adam is expressing creativity and he's, he's naming these things. And, and, you know, it starts with, you know, duck-billed platypus. And, you know, by the time he gets to dog, he's like, dog. And God's like, come on, man. That's just my name spelled backwards. <laughs> you know, it's because you, you're getting tired of this. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But... For Adam, as the one who is an image bearer, there was not found a helper fit for him. There is nothing in creation that corresponded to Adam. He is the only one in all of God's creation, that includes angels, that have been made in the image of God. There was no corresponding helper. This is significant. So, The Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the place with flesh, and the rib that that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made, I like the other word in the New American Standard, fashioned. He fashioned from the rib a woman, and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, listen to this, this at last, do you hear this? This should finish with an exclamation point. Oh, it just it finishes with a period. Come on. All right? There's no punctuation in the original text, but we should put the exclamation in there. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called womb man. Woman. Because she was taken out of man. Therefore, the commentary gives, as Moses writes, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall hold fast. You hear, till death do us part in those words? Hold fast to his wife. Wife, wife, marriage is happening. And they shall become one flesh. One, woven together by God. So you have the first marriage, Adam and Eve. Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to top him, neither out of his feet to be trampled by him, but out of his side to be equal with him and under his arm to be protected by him and near to his heart to be loved by him. What poetic explanation from Matthew Henry that is. Do you see what we're talking about here? See the beauty of God's design? Eve is not a man like Adam is. But she has a design that was purposeful and created by God to be a corresponding helper to the man. Now, the egalitarian position in our day is by far the most popular and embraced by the culture. It is the liberal position. And many churches, even in our nation, have wholesale embraced this position in in their teaching and practice in both the family and in the church. They believe this, that men and women are the same and that distinctions and hierarchy are a result of the fall. I wholeheartedly disagree. 
I've watched this kind of theology lead people to terrible handling of God's Word. And I've watched it gut a church that was unwilling to stand against the pressure of culture and caved into this kind of position. Most of this position is built out of this passage in Galatians as Paul writes this. For as many of, uh, as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We looked at this last week. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Neither is there slave nor free. Neither, uh, there is no male or, and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, are we handling that wrong? If we're concluding from that verse that men and women are just the same? Absolutely we are. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul would go on to talk in the, to the Corinthians about how we're members of one body. He's emphasizing oneness. We all come the same way, desperately needing salvation. No one has a leg up when they stand before Christ. We are all condemned, guilty, None of us deserve salvation. But Paul would go on to say, but now in Christ, in that oneness, there's distinction. And you can't look at an arm and say, well, I'm more important than a foot. It's good that the members of the body are not all arms. That would be awkward. There is beauty in our unity, not because we're all the same, but because we're different. That is to the glory of God. That's the point. And that is one of the reasons why heaven is going to be so amazing. Forever, we will be together. Harmonious, yet different notes. Perfect unity amidst incredible distinction. And so I would suggest to you and commend to you the complementarian position on this issue that in fact men and women are created equal in value and dignity and yet different by design, not as a result of the fall, but in Genesis 1 and 2. Different by both design and assignment by God. Assignment by God. The Scriptures bear this out. And we are to be a people who embrace this as God's good gift to us. Now, a catastrophic rejection. There is something bad, horrific that takes place in Genesis chapter 3 that echoes in our hearts today. It is one of the reasons why the headlines of our news read the way they do. In Genesis 3, Satan comes with attack. He comes to this marriage with an attack. And, and don't miss this. Where does he launch his attack? He goes after Eve. He goes after Eve. Where's Adam? Where's the protector? Where's the, the head of the home? The spiritual leader? The one who was supposed to get the shovel and start beating on the snake? Adam, where are you? Eve fails to trust and believe the words of God. And she eats the fruit. And it says that she gave some to her husband who stood by her. What was he doing? Nothing to protect her. 
The enemy knows exactly what marriage is meant to be, and so he goes in his first attack to try to subvert it from the very beginning. And he launches a successful attack at the wife while the husband, passive man, stands by. And then blames his wife when God comes into the garden. And by the way, who did God ask for when he came? He asked for the man of the house. Adam, where are you? Like he didn't know. I'm hiding. Why are you hiding? Why are you scratching so much? Because fig leaves are the worst thing you could ever imagine to try to cover yourself. It was her fault. Do you see sin? You see what it does? His passiveness, failure to protect and provide for his wife, then his selfishness to throw her under the bus, and the curse of God falls, rightly and justly, for their rebellion and sin. It says to Eve, your desire will be for the man and he will rule over you. This is a, a turning of hearts. Enmity both with the, the serpent but also male to female. There is all kinds of stuff that began to unfold between men and women, even in the context of marriage. Listen to how this unfolds in the New Testament. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They suppress it for what can be known about God is plain to them. This is why I don't believe there's any honest atheist. Okay? There is no truly honest atheist. And no, I definitely don't, I don't think there's a God. You, you do because you know it. It's plain to you. God has shown it to everyone here. His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And they are seen in the things that have been made in such a way that no one has an excuse. All men and women are without excuse. There is a God. And we suppress that with unrighteousness and sin. It goes on, though. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, right? This is what tolerance looks like. This is the wisdom. This is inclusivity. This is love. They became fools. And they exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. When you see that wording, He gave them up, I want you to think of a dump truck filled with rocks on a steep incline. What holds that dump truck back from a total disaster at the bottom of the hill? The brakes. God lifts the brakes. He gives them up. Not to do things they otherwise wouldn't do, but to do exactly what they would do, but for His restraint to keep that sin in check in His common grace. He lifts the brakes and the truck begins to plow down the hill. Look at what it looks like. 
the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. He goes on. For this reason, God gave them up to desirable, uh, dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that were contrary to nature. And their men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. If you need social commentary, if you need to understand some of these parades and marches that take place in cities, if it just seems crazy and completely unreasonable to you, read Romans 1. There's nothing new under the sun, friends. Reject the glory of God. Embrace lust and sexual deviancies. Subvert God's good design. This really shouldn't surprise us. It's recorded throughout civilizations over and over and over In large part, one of the big reasons of the Roman Empire collapsing in upon itself was exactly the same reason. Hmm. It's grievous, friends. It's grievous. But for God's grace, there go we. If, If it wasn't for God's grace, lest we ever stand up like the Pharisee and say, oh, we would never do such a thing. Oh, how wrong. That is, if it wasn't for God's grace, we're all in on that. We're applauding, cheering. Though they know God's righteous decree, they not only do these things, but give hearty approval to those who do. It's only the grace of God that's given us eyes to see this, to feel the weight of this sin, to turn from it and embrace holiness. And so humility and love Lead the way. Even as I proclaim these truths, I want to do so with great care to say, listen, if you're in that place, trust me, there is a better way. A way of love and satisfaction and joy untold, and it's through Jesus Christ. Sins of our day. Eternal boyhood. Men, prone to laziness, being selfish, eternally immature, right? I'm, I'm good with video games, right? That's fun. We just had a video game party here. We had a blast. It was great. We were actually playing on that screen. That, that was fun. However, that's not real. That is not life. Like, guys, we've got to move past game time and into living, build something, right? Ongoing irresponsibility, living with this non-committal, marriages dropping in part because men are unwilling to commit to be a man and stand out there. Take those words on. 
lust-filled pornography is rampant in our day. Passive men, men rather than being strong, would rather just try to keep the peace by just being quiet, right? Happy wife, happy life. I hope you saw my post on that. That's a myth. I love you, honey, to be clear. (laughs) This is what we agree on. Holy wife, happy life. Holy husband, happy life. That's the goal. Don't ever make an idol of your spouse and bow to her and think that God is going to bless. There are many men who embrace this effeminate trend in our day. They dress in such a way that goes against direct calls of Scripture. A man is not supposed to dress like a woman nor a woman like a man. It's very clear. God has said these words. Sometimes this shows up in the sin of just dominance. And rather than than passivity in in, in relationships, men become violent and hostile. And my way or the highway, I'm general. I'm barking out commands. That is also sin. It's not Jesus. And ladies... How easy it is to become consumed with looks or social status. Constantly checking Facebook. How many likes did I get with that picture, with this, with that? How easy it is to begin to just scorn men. Those immature, big babies. I don't need them. I'm strong, right? I don't need men. Or even with the movie thing, just rejecting femininity categorically. I don't need that. That's weak. That's old. I will use everything at my disposal to manipulate and dominate. That's feminism. That's what that is. That's feminism. Usurp or be a doormat. In marriage, often the sinful inclination in a woman is I want to take the lead in this marriage. I want to tell him what he should do and think, and, and, and I run this home. Or I'll just be a doormat. I'll just, I'll just be afraid to upset him or say anything, and just, just tread upon me. I got nothing here. Both of these are sinful inclinations. There's a better way. There's God's way. It's a better way. A gospel-enabled recovery. That's what I would call it. It's a gospel-enabled recovery. We recover biblical manhood and womanhood. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul has written 11 chapters of the gospel. They are spectacular. And I love how he sums up this transition here. The transition between chapter 11 and chapter 12 is right here. I appeal to you, therefore, on the basis of all that I've written. And then he adds, by the mercies of God, that I would see as the gospel. Because of all of these truths, glorious, beautiful realities that we find in Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, for His glory alone. What do we do, Paul? How should we respond? We are to present our bodies, he says. Present your bodies as living sacrifices, 
holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. It's worshipful to live in the person that God has created you to be, in this body that he has given you. It's worshipful to live in that body in a way that's holy and right before him. It's acceptable worship. And then he says this. Here's a command, friends, a command to Christians. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't conform. Don't allow the pressure cooker of this world to push you into its mold and shape you and just cause you to compromise and retreat into, well, I just want to blend in. I don't want to stand out. I'll just be this guy over here. I won't speak up. I won't say anything. No. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Those things exist, friends. They exist. And the way we begin to latch on and lay hold of them is as we are transformed. Look, look, at, the, look at the wording here. Do not conform, but be transformed. That's an embracing of God's work in me through His Spirit, in His Word, as I seek to be holy. Lord, change me. Grow me. Make me a man for your glory. A man that displays the kinds of fruit that you call me to display as a man. And conversely, a woman over there. Gospel freedom, therefore, is that which embraces God's good design. That's our call. Don't push against it. Don't ride the train of liberation and feminism and freedom and jump out the the door with no parachute. Embrace His design. Skydiving is great when you've got a parachute, I imagine. What does He have to say for us about gender? Embrace that. How about sexuality? The covenant vows of marriage till death do us part. Go! I created sex. It's for my glory. And it is for one man and one woman in the context of marriage. It's beautiful. I bless it. Go for it. But only there will you find satisfaction that you long for. And marriage and family, even in the way that we think about the church, these, these implications ring out for us here too. Hmm. So Ephesians 5, for example. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Whoa! Pastor Jeremy, ease up on us, man. Now, here's the thing. When you hear those verses read, do you feel that? Like, That's the culture. We're in it. It shapes. It causes verses like this to be like, oh, wow. Ooh, whoa, man. I literally had people say, I- I- I'm good with all this stuff, but don't you dare tell me that I have to submit to my husband. <laughs> and I'm like, trust me, um, if it was just me, I would never say that. <laughs> like, I, I don't want to fight. Um, but you got to, take it up with God 
because that's his word. And it's for your best. You see it? It's your good. He's offering you a beautiful gift, ladies. Now, it doesn't stop there, guys, in case you think the sermon was done. (laughs) Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, and that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That's a high calling, men. He goes on. In the same way, husbands should love their wives, uh, let me be clear, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Where are we going? Genesis chapter 2. Paul's calling us back before the fall. He's saying, recapture what was lost in Genesis 3. Let's go back to the gift that God gave in the garden. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. It's beautiful. Do you hear complementary wording in these things? The complementary relationship of this, this, this coming together, these roles distinct, and yet one. And so, reclaiming, recapturing, rediscovering this wonderful gift, husbands are called to loving, humble headship that leads and protects and provides and sacrifices to serve your wife. Each word counts, men. Pray over these words. Loving, humble headship. This is not authoritarianism. This is not dominance. This is not General Jeremy barking out orders, get in line and do everything I want, and we always eat the same restaurant because that's what I like to eat. Leading, protecting, providing, sacrificing. Die for her. Love your wife. And wives, these words count. Joyful, not begrudging, not angry. Okay, fine, I'll submit. I don't have to like it. Right? Joyful, as unto the Lord, right? God has given me this path, and he says it's for my good. And so I will joyfully embrace it as my role intelligent. It means you're participating. It means you're invited into the discussion, not just given orders and directives, but you're, you're a part of this. Submission. Tucking under. Supporting and respecting your husband. This is a beautiful thing. The complementary design that God has given for marriage. There is, in fact, in the Bible, biblical hierarchy. Egalitarians would suggest that hierarchy is a result of the fall, and this is where there's a bit of a mic drop, okay? If hierarchy is a result of the fall, 
then how is it that the Son comes and says, I submit my will to the Father. I have not come to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. It is my joy to do all that He has given me to do. I submit my will to the Father. And in that, we have the very design of the original marriage. That's what headship looks like, Adam. And where he failed, Christ succeeded. See this? So, wives, yes, submit to your husband. Children, submit to your parents. That's next week. Parenting 101, we're going there. And then church members, submit to male elders and pastors. There's very clear distinctions given in the leadership of the church. These are for our good. And so we embrace them joyfully, biblically so, even if the culture disagrees and would label us whatever they call. Gospel-powered transformation. This is real, and this is our opportunity in Christ. It's our calling, brothers and sisters, before the Lord. I just want to close with this verse and consider what a beautiful promise this is. Look at the psalmist as he delights in the Lord, and he says this, You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What does the world have that could ever compare to that? Nothing. So our response this morning, are we going to live with me-centered conforming, or by God's grace, are we going to choose Christ-centered transforming? So rather than the cultural call, let's give a call to the Christian. Christians, joyfully embrace who God has created you to be. That's the different call for the Christian. This is my motivational Christian talk. Follow Christ with all your heart. Don't follow your heart. Follow Christ with all your heart and seek His wisdom. Believe that God's all-wise plan for you is for your good. Reject sin and trust God's design for true satisfaction. Live for Him and love Him every day and forever. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would just lavish upon us a special measure of your grace. These things are hard, and questions abound. Absolutely, they do. But we do believe that you are for us. You are for our good. You are for our holiness. You are committed to make us pure in the eyes of your Son, Jesus Christ, day by day, progressively so. I pray that you would help us to begin to identify the impulse of sin, the echo of Genesis 3 that would call us to to push back against your good design. Father, it's in us all. We need your help. We pray that we would shine, that the marriages in this church would would be increasingly displays of this beautiful complementary unity that we have, designed by you and blessed by you. Oh, Father, I thank You for the men and the women in this church of all ages. I pray that we would know who we are because of who You have created us to be and that we would live out of that place joyfully.
and to your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.